Hello, you're listening to Shadow Talk. I'm your host, Victoria Austin, and this is the podcast that unpacks the latest stories impacting the industry. Joining me on today's episode in our virtual podcast studio, we have Adam, Demelza, and Jamie. So thank you all for joining. Good morning, Victoria. Hi, Vic. Good to be here. Yeah, good to see you all again. I guess, um, how are you all coping uh, kind of into the depths of uh, remote working? It's getting easier, hopefully. Fingers crossed, we're still here. I managed to uh, try my first proper uh, homemade uh, haircut, so uh, didn't go too well. Had to keep kind of going shorter and shorter because uh, kept messing up. Uh, but you know, got something kind of semi to put together in the end. You look good, mate. Yeah, I think it looks really good. I think it was going to get way better by the end of this. Maybe not. You won't need to go to the hairdressers. All the bars. at least you don't have to keep wearing a hat to cover it up, like me. Yes, yeah, it's true. I do need to invest in a hat, though, in case it doesn't go so well next time. <laughs> nice. Ah, nice. Well, yeah, as I said, it's really nice to have you all back on uh, this episode this week. So, yeah, I guess in um, to start things off, we're going to just, um, this week actually marked the WannaCry anniversary. So that happened in 2017. So we're going to kind of just dive in and have a retrospective look at WannaCry. Um, the, yeah, I guess the ransomware worm that spread rapidly throughout the world. It infected outdated versions of Microsoft Windows operating systems. It hit the British National Health Service. Uh, it hit all organizations and governmental bodies across the world, as well as, you know, the Russian Interior Ministry, Chinese uh, universities, and so on. So, I mean, that, honestly, I think that was my, on a personal note, I think that was my first sort of, um, my first encounter, I guess, with a, a large-scale cyber attack, and I wasn't in this industry at the time, um, and it definitely rippled throughout the world. It became mainstream news. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting that this is, I guess, you know, retros- it's a three-year anniversary. We seem to forget things now that so many other stories kind of come our way. But um, I guess to kind of just repeat or just go through, um, I guess, recap WannaCry, what were kind of the core lessons that we learned from this ransomware attack? I, mean, I think there were a few different kind of areas, and I think a lot of it we can kind of really look look on with the bit of hindsight. So it wasn't kind of clear at the time the economic impact, uh, but kind of subsequently afterwards when they were able to look back, you know, examine the attack, it was uh, estimated, for example, with the NHS to have costed them around 92 million. So I think what you've got there is a really good metric uh, in terms of how much these sorts of attacks can, can cost organisations. And, you know, we hear all these kind of big and numbers about the cost of cybercrime being in the kind of the billions and and often you know the methodology behind those studies is a bit dubious but I think when you actually look at a specific organization and you can kind of cite those sorts of numbers it's it's a bit bit clearer in terms of what it can actually lead to um, I think I think what we've seen kind of in the kind of in the next few years is, is that just the scale of that ransomware ecosystem uh, really changed so we're seeing you know a huge amount of different variants uh, at the moment uh, but we're also seeing the tactics shift a bit. So we've talked on the podcast before about how ransomware actors are starting to publish data. Um, but just just this last week, uh, seeing reports about the idea of an affiliate model where you know the developers are distributing their variant uh, with different threat actors that are using it. And then uh, the developer then gets a commission every time that ransomware is used in a successful operation. So you're kind of seeing quite a kind of complex ecosystem uh, of different ransomware actors kind of uh, come up and I think I think the final thing where we've seen that significant change is just the the money at stake 
where I believe WannaCry was kind of requesting three to six hundred dollars. We're now seeing extortion fees go up to the kind of six-figure uh, mark, and you know I think that can kind of cause that real significant damage for an organisation. Hard to believe that it's been three years, right? I don't, I don't think you were alone in that, Victoria. I was just starting out as well, and I think that was the, that was definitely the first time people started to wake up and be like, okay, you know, like this is this is an issue. Um, and yeah, like some of the things Jamie was alluding to there, those outdated, unpatched systems that were seemingly benign and everyone was just kind of cracking on with and using, all of a sudden are opening up, you know, entire organizations to these kind of threats. So I think people then started to, to outside the security community and outside the, outside the, uh, the cybersecurity circles, as it were, were really starting to wake up and be like, okay, what's going on here? I think the other interesting thing, Adam, is when you, when you think of those kind of headline uh, or, you know, agenda setting attacks, you know, a lot of people often cite, uh, cite Stuxnet, for example, and a lot of those kind of really big attacks, they've typically impacted governments directly or kind of government affiliated uh, targets such as you know, critical infrastructure around uh, energy grids, et cetera. I think what WannaCry showed was, even though it was conducted by a state, there was you know, a huge amount of collateral in all sorts of organizations from the private sector and healthcare and those kind of you know, targets that wouldn't kind of traditionally be uh, targeted by kind of states or for, for kind of political reasons. So it really put those kind of headline attacks, uh, but you know, impacting other kind of sectors uh, on the map. Yeah, you have to you have to question whether the intent was there to actually do that. There's a lot of theories out there, isn't there, about WannaCry as to whether or not it was an attack against one entity or one nation that just spiraled out of control due to the the, the nature of the ransomware itself being able to move and self-propagate through different networks. So yeah, I mean, I think it was certainly like you say that kind of flagship incident. I think also if we think about where we are now, so um, and just compare it, it to three years ago. So the actual ransomware worm impacted outdated systems, and you would think at this stage, okay, yeah, so now we're um, we're much further in terms of digital transformation. You know, it's three years later. Companies will think, okay, yeah, it's fine. We we're, we're running the latest version. It might be this sort of like. Um, assumption that you know things are okay because we updated the system but um, I guess the issue I get I guess now is that or the lessons to be learned from this is you know I get no I guess the question for me is have organizations actually learned from this um, from that attack um, like how have it did it change the way that they were going to um, review their systems internally and I think to answer my own question in some respect we that hasn't really occurred because if, if i mean even this podcast we cover things where systems haven't been updated so um unfortunately i guess maybe some lessons haven't been learned um and we kind of need to pay more attention to this still i think related to that though you see the tactics uh shift a bit in terms of that initial access so with WannaCry, you know it was a worm targeting vulnerable systems now you're seeing uh, both an increase in kind of uh, ransomware being distributed via phishing but also actors uh, getting into a network we, i think we've talked about this on the podcast before you know getting into a network and then you know remaining dormant for quite a long time uh, before they kind of pull the trigger on the ransomware so i think you know we, we, as much as we try and update our defenses the threat actors are also kind of developing uh, new tools new approaches uh, in terms of kind of getting your systems infected 
Yeah, um, I was just going to say um, that kind of, I think because people that maybe kind of aren't inhabiting the cybersphere constantly because, we have, because they haven't seen an attack of this scale again, I think people have, have a tendency to assume that this was, was kind of an isolated incident that's now been solved. People forget, yeah, I guess like you were saying, this is a, a living, breathing beast and that kind of, um, it's constant, it's always evolving, so therefore your security apparatus also has to evolve. Cool. So yeah, I guess, you know, lessons learned, like we, even this week, we've seen two cases, um, several more, I guess it depends on the reporting on ransomware attacks, um, specifically referencing here, the Pitney ransomware attack. So Jamie, I was wondering if you could just, I guess, list, I guess, some lessons that we could learn from these cases in particular. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I think clearly it's not ideal if uh, you experience two ransomware attacks, I think in the space of seven months. Uh, so certainly you'd hope that the lessons kind of maybe missed the first time uh, were kind of taken on board uh, after the second attack. But I think I think the key here is to look at the different parts of a kind of defense strategy, because clearly on one hand, you want to prevent ransomware in the first place and you don't want your systems uh, to be infected. And, and clearly it's not ideal uh, that they had a follow on attack. But I think the more interesting question here is on that issue of resilience. Now, even if it's not ideal to be infected twice, if that second time uh, you've got backups of all your key data, you're able to scrub your uh, systems and quite quickly restore them based on secure backups, um, that is at least a an improvement on the resilience and the recovery stage. So I think um, when we look at ransomware, we want to have that defense in depth. We want to stop, stop it, you know, attacking us in the first place, but then we also want to have mitigation plans and robust mitigation plans uh, for if the worst does happen. Great. So yeah, moving on, we've got the latest story that happened this week as well. So in addition to, I guess, the retrospective look at WannaCry, WordPress was sort of um, uh, subject to uh, scrutiny this week. So it was revealed on Tuesday that a uh, plugin um, could have been, was vulnerable to uh, a, a, an exploit. So Adam, I was wondering if you could just provide an overview about what happened to WordPress this week. Yeah, another one, uh, another uh, vulnerability in WordPress plugins, this time Elemental Pro and the ultimate add-ons available for that software. And it looks like users of this plugin were vulnerable to remote code execution, according to the report, which is bad news given that attacks have likely been occurring. A lot of the time we hear reporting of these vulnerabilities without uh, follow-up reports to say that threat actors are actively exploiting them. So the remote code execution would allow attackers to install backdoors on the target websites, gain admin level access, et cetera, all the bad things. I, I mean, when you say a WordPress plugin uh, uh, vulnerability once again, it must be so difficult for organizations or individuals who are using these platforms to kind of stay, constantly stay up to date with what's happening. Um, because I guess the previous week as well, there was also something very similar, but again, it's hard to... They're almost, uh, I mean, you could argue they're almost a kind of weekly occurrence. Certainly, uh, you know, a couple a month, I think, that have emerged. And they vary in terms of how many websites they affect and their severity in terms of, you know, are they a zero day? What kind of things do they allow attackers to do, etc. Um, and I think the issue is, is that the reporting of the vulnerabilities often far outweighs reports of attackers actually exploiting them so i think maybe we're in danger of you know perceiving them as less of a priority perhaps amongst security teams or security frameworks whereas you know if exploited and if it, and if it left unpatched 
you know, attackers are likely to, you know, try their luck in exploiting them. And I think when you have stuff like cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, you're opening yourself up to, you know, a range of different attacks that can certainly be impactful for organizations. So if you're not looking, uh, if you're not looking or perceiving these things as a threat and they are affecting you, you are one of those 1 million users, 200,000 users, sometimes it, it varies, but there are, you know, a decent handful of websites these things can often affect. Um, and they can lead to things like uh, watering hole attacks, you know, if an attacker is able to inject malicious code into the website, potentially compromise it if, it if they know that a lot of users frequently visit it. Um, there's, you know, various other things like installing crypto miners. I think there are some, there is research out there to suggest that WordPress plugins that are vulnerable are having cryptocurrency mining malware installed into them. And a lot of uh, last year and preceding podcasts that we've, that we've been talking about is stuff like Magecart attacks. So the Magecart threat umbrella, which popularized a lot of the digital skimming that we were reporting on and talking about in the podcast last year. And then I guess in terms of like the severity of this, we've noted that it is critical. Um, but yeah, the reporting itself has focused on, you know, what was impacted um, and how would a, an organization, I guess, respond to this? But um, I guess, you know, I don't know, has it actually been listed as a CVE at this stage? Like how would an organization, you know, because obviously the reporting has come through via um, the media, but how would an organization be personally notified about something like this or the end user of this tool? Through those reports, there are CVE numbers for this. Okay. Um, I, think, I think one of the, one of the issues there uh, is that perhaps it's like old or unused websites or software that perhaps organizations don't really you know doesn't fall into their uh, into their sites as it were for security teams um, but they they often can be cases where the vendor themselves just doesn't bother releasing a patch because of the legacy nature of the software and that's that can then potentially be an issue because if people aren't worrying about it and they're just leaving it as it be you know the one that we focused on in the intelligence summary last week was reported to the vendor in October of last year and a patch was never released. And so come uh, end, of, end of April, May this year, you know, we start seeing reports of, of threat actors actively exploiting those vulnerabilities. I think it also uh, raises a broader point in terms of the, the risks of using those kind of third party add-ons, right? So because some of these are WordPress vulnerabilities explicitly, but you know, a lot as, as we've been saying are kind of those plugins that kind of help you Prove your website in one way or another, and perhaps similar to browser extensions, there are these you know these third-party add-ons and in different ways that you kind of bring in uh, to make your life easier. Uh, there's certainly a lot of benefits to those. If we take extensions, uh, for example, you know I know a lot of people will use things like Grammarly or you know password managers or extensions to find the best coupon codes for when they're shopping online. So you know a huge amount of uh, benefits. But you know as as you incorporate more of this stuff into your Kind of workflow um, those risks that you know of using kind of vulnerable extensions vulnerable plugins do increase um, so I think it's really important to kind of weigh up that trade-off between the benefits versus the security risks uh, I'm not sure how many people are doing that at the moment I was also just this is just a general point of discussion but back to Adam's point around um, the frequency at which like these things are released so um, for example I think it was mentioned that you said the disclosure of these vulnerabilities is more frequent than the reports of the attacks. And I'm just thinking, like, do you think that could create 
a fatigue within the industry you know definitely yeah i think there's there's you know there's a good chance that that definitely you know you hear of something if you keep hearing of stuff in the news um and then you don't hear of like actually any impacts or anything following up from that then you might just be tend to read and go oh look there's another wordpress vulnerability oh look there's another plugin that is potentially vulnerable but it'll probably be okay because hardly anyone ever goes after those yeah but lo and behold if you leave them unpatched then all of a sudden there's you know attacks actively exploiting them yeah i guess that kind of similar to kind of the once the wanna cry ransomware worm where it was sort of outdated versions of microsoft you know that same principle where people are saying okay yeah it's happened this is an old tool it hasn't been updated it's fine it's been reported but i'm just going to kind of brush it under the carpet sort of and that's the problem isn't it like these things often aren't seen as an issue until you get popped and all of a sudden you're like ah you know hindsight's a beautiful thing where you're like maybe we should have you know audited those those endpoints audited those websites that we don't necessarily take much notice of or update those systems etc absolutely so yeah moving on typically on this podcast we discuss how organizations have been breached but on today's episode we actually sort of have um a different story where an a hacker forum and a marketplace that has been associated with or has a focus on discussing trading and selling databases we leak we leak database is what it's called um was actually um involved in its own, in an in in a breach itself so i think demels is going to kind of just go into detail here about what actually happened here yeah sure so this is a really interesting piece of irony here um yes yeah, so, so as you said um in january wheelitdata.com a marketplace which, which uh, specialized in breaches and combo lists went under um there was some speculation it was taken down by the fbi or that the owner um, was arrested by europol um however the site was back up pretty quickly after after apparently being sold to a new member however almost straight away we started to see uh, fork sites with kind of identical branding and the same data sets being advertised indicating that the original user base of wheelie data was compromised and then a month later, um, we saw the site's database was actually advertised for sale on a dark web forum. So we're talking the actual user data um, that, was the, uh, that was for sale here. So members' login names, their email addresses, hash passwords, IP addresses, and even private messages, which has a huge value for researchers and law enforcement alike, um, I guess, to link and also locate cybercriminals. The FBI actually recently seized a unrelated site called WeLeakInfo.com um, and two individuals were arrested in Ireland and the Netherlands, I think. So we can see that law enforcement is taking kind of active measures here against the commercial disclosure of stolen information. Um, and this seems kind of quite an ironic case of um, rivals jostling to become the premier destination of, the, of this type of data product. It's actually made the users um, vulnerable themselves. I think we also think about um when, when we think about comp compromised credentials we always think about that um like uri or just you know our, our family our friends but in this sort of sense the same issues where bre breaches are occurring sort of like in the dark side of the internet sort of on the dark web so these um common issues that organizations face still i guess happen to uh, cyber criminals as well um and they're not immune to these sorts of uh, attacks or issues yeah, absolutely. And I guess you could actually argue that they're probably more vulnerable to these attacks because they're associating with individuals that are highly capable 
um, of mining this data. So yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting kind of change in perspective. It's easy to, I guess, uh, develop a bit of complex, um, like a victim complex in this industry, but actually um, any type of criminal engaging on these forums is taking a risk, um, especially with the data. Yeah, I guess um, something to kind of build on, but um, build on top of this story is uh, research that Digital Shadows released this week. And that is around um, the um, markets, the dark web marketplace called Bitbazaar. So they themselves are sort of um, involved in a sort of rivalry between them and um, the sort of Dread uh, forum. So yeah, Dread is a sort of Reddit style um, forum on the dark web. And it has subsections where uh, users will talk about dark web marketplaces, or forums that are sort of um, uh, sort of popular or ones that they should watch out for. It's also a place where uh, users will sort of recommend or highlight themes in the industry, I guess in the sort of underworld rather than industry about what's happening. So for example, what happened this week um, is that Bitbazaar, um, which is actually kind of just a, a broad overview. So it was established, I guess, in mid 2019 and it describes itself as a walletless market with escrow auctions and anonymous orders. And what happened this week is that um, Digital Shadows observed a ban on this sub-dread, so a sub-forum within Dread. And Dread had actually banned the market um, following accusations of, of the market being associated with treachery. Um, Dread had acknowledged that Bitbazaar had manipulated its user numbers to artificially inflate its popularity and trick cyber criminals into using the marketplace. Um, so yeah, what this blog does and what the research sort of highlights is that um, that it sort of uh, it kind of looks into why why would Bitbazaar want to inflate the, the the numbers? It then kind of looks at the impact on the dark web marketplace scene, and overall kind of just again shows as we kind of do discuss on this podcast the sort of tensions within this. Um, within this ecosystem, you know, it's sort of like a sort of, I guess, a soap opera of kinds where one user is accusing the other of doing something and, you know, it's sort of rallying the troops or the users behind it. So it's an interesting read and you can read that at uh, resources.digitalshadows.com. So I think that sort of summarizes everything for this week. I don't know if anyone else wants to add anything. I was just going to make a comment on those treacherous dark web forum users. That's certainly interesting i just like i like the accusations of treachery that you were commenting on there <laughs> it's definitely uh definitely like a soap opera i love all that forum politics that our that our research team comes up with the val the valentine's day one that they released earlier this year is another like interesting angle you don't usually think of the dark web or those kind of criminal forums discussing or talking about that stuff so it's nice to shed a light on on those things living for the drama so much drama those, so much drama that we those treacherous forum users honestly <laughs> yeah exactly awesome well um guys thank you so much for joining me on today's episode it's been an absolute pleasure as per as always listeners you can find out more information by re uh, by visiting resources.digitalshadows.com I think in the next few weeks, we also have some very interesting content coming out from our own CEO, which is worth um, sort of just checking up on on our website as well. But I won't go into just into that detail because uh, we'll cover that later, later in time. So, yeah, guys, thank you so much for joining and have a good week or weekend. Thanks, Victoria. You too.
Thank you. Thanks.